Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. We're watching the speaker approach the lectern. Let's listen to what she has to say. Today on the floor, we'll pass a resolution naming the managers, appropriating the funds for the trial and transmitting the articles of impeachment of the President of the United States. The resolution is adopted and without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. The hour of 12 noon having arrived and a quorum being present, the Sergeant at Arms will present the managers on the part of the House of Representatives. Mr. President, at this time, pursuant to Rule 4 of the Senate Rules on Impeachment and the United States Constitution, the presiding officer will now administer the oath to John G. Roberts, Chief Justice of the United States. Uh, Senators, I attend the Senate in conformity with your notice for the purpose of joining with you for the trial of the President of the United States. It's a hoax. Everybody knows that. It's a, it's a complete hoax. The whole thing with Ukraine. Welcome to CQ on Congress. This is a historic day in a historic week. The impeachment trial of President Donald J. Trump has opened. Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts presiding. The Constitution says little about how the Senate should run its trial, but it does require senators sitting in judgment to take an oath promising impartial justice. Some version of this oath was sworn at the outset of the 1868 trial of President Andrew Johnson and the 1999 trial of President Bill Clinton. Our audio equipment was not allowed in the chamber. Additional security screening and restrictions on reporters sparked their own controversy this week. However, we did have a reporter at the trial, Catherine Tully McManus, and she has taken a break from the action to join us. KTM, can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Great. Can you paint a picture of what you witnessed today? Can you walk us through it? Absolutely. Um, at noon, the articles of impeachment were brought once again across the Capitol building by the impeachment managers, the seven House Democrats named by Nancy Pelosi to lead the prosecution of Trump during this impeachment trial in the Senate. And the Senate officially accepted the managers and allowed the articles to be read aloud on the Senate floor. So House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff read the entirety of the impeachment articles aloud to the Senate. The Constitution provides that the House of Representatives shall have the sole power of impeachment and that the president shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. While senators sat in their chairs uh, in the chamber and just had to listen. Some took notes, um, but many were just absorbing uh, that reading aloud. Donald J. Trump has abused the powers of the presidency 
in that all senators were also warned uh, by the Senate Sergeant at Arms uh, in language that honestly belongs in a different era. Uh, hear ye, hear ye. Uh, all persons are commanded to keep silent upon pain of imprisonment. Uh, that is reminding senators that they. This is not a debate in the way that we think of a debate in the Senate where everyone can stand up and say their piece. Uh, senators are supposed to keep completely silent while the defenders of the president, his lawyers, and the impeachment managers, the Democrats who will be prosecuting the president, fight it out. Catherine, what's the mood of the senators? Have any of them talked to the reporters and, and given them a clue? Um, I would say the mood is that there's definitely a buzz in the Senate. Um, Senators on both sides of the aisle know that this is a constitutional duty of the Senate, uh, a rare constitutional duty. There's not that many things that the Constitution says that Congress is tasked to do. Um, There's more things that the Constitution says Congress shall make no law about, uh, but an impeachment is one of them. And so while Republicans may be frustrated that this is even happening to a president of their party, a president that they support, uh, and Democrats may be enthusiastic about pursuing this case against the president, uh, there is definitely a solemnity uh, in the Senate right now. Uh, As for talking to senators, there have been really serious and extreme restrictions put on the press for this trial in the name of security. Uh, So I've only talked to a handful of senators today, and that was heading into the chamber. So I have not gotten reaction afterwards. Everyone's wondering what the trial is going to be like. Do we have a sense yet? Will there be witnesses called? What happens next? Whether or not witnesses will be called is a decision that will happen down the road is what we anticipate. something that was a major fight that caused that delay in Nancy Pelosi sending the articles over to the Senate is Democrats wanted an agreement on that certain witnesses would be heard from, a guarantee, uh, whereas Republicans were seeking a format like the 1999 Clinton trial in which they begin the trial and then further down the line, they take votes as to whether or not to hear from witnesses. What we do know is that Tuesday is when the trial will officially begin. Catherine, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm sure we'll be hearing more from you in coming episodes, and our listeners can find your stories at rollcall.com. Thank you. Now we turn to CQ Roll Call elections analyst Nathan Gonzalez. We want to talk to him about how this trial might impact those lawmakers in tight races on both sides of the aisle. Welcome, Nathan. Thank you for having me. A little bit going on, so it's yeah. probably a good we time to talk about it. Taking a minute to talk to our listeners here. How politically perilous is this trial for the senators who are up for re-election? I think the most honest answer, and I try to be honest uh, whenever I'm talking with you or in front of a microphone, is uh, we don't know yet. I mean, there's certainly a lot of speculation, uh, first of all, about the Republicans that are running for reelection in, in competitive or blue states, such as Cory Gardner of Colorado or Susan Collins of Maine, the only two Republicans running in states that Hillary Clinton carried in 2016. And I, I feel like the media coverage is portraying it as, well, will they or won't they 
votes. And I would be shocked if they don't vote with the rest of the Republican Party uh, because they can't afford to lose the base. Uh, sure, I mean, they, they can't just win with the base. They need moderates. Uh, they need, maybe need some Democrats as well. But if they vote to remove the president, the Republican president of the United States, there will be enough Republican voters that will just turn the other way and they will be cooked right. in their that, re-election chances. And that's why the polls are really important here. Um, they have not budged so far as Republican, self-described Republicans are concerned. They support the president. They don't want him impeached and removed from office. Um, so that's Susan Collins' voters. That's Cory Gardner's voters. Right. And they, you know, Republicans have discounted the whole process. So anything that comes out from the process, they just, uh, they disregard it because they, they fundamentally disbelieve, uh, they fundamentally believe that the whole thing is, the whole thing is flawed. It's a witch hunt or whatever they want to, whatever term they want to use for it. But if you're Collins or Gardner, you're in... I would think sort of a no-win situation here. You don't want to lose your base. Sure. Um, but on the other hand, the election may well be decided by independence. Correct. Yeah, you, they need both. I mean, they need to form coalitions of with a coalition that includes voters that hate and love the president. And that and that's difficult to do, but if you if we take this one more step where if you're Susan Collins and you vote to remove the president <laughs> from office, she's still going to have Democrats are st- Democrats will still be mad at her for the Kavanaugh vote. They're not going to say, "Oh well, you know what? I, I I like her now. I'm back on her side." They'll find something else that they're that they're mad about. You know, this is it's not going to cure her problems with Democratic voters. It's early yet, but is there evidence that impeachment is going to be a campaign issue? Are there ads running in these states? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, the initially earlier or last year, um, the RNC was airing ads against some vulnerable House Democrats in districts that. President Trump carried trying to hold these Democrats responsible for uh, for pushing the inquiry. The challenge with that is that, for example, Alyssa Slotkin in Michigan, uh, the freshman congresswoman from Michigan in the Detroit suburbs was one of them. But Republicans are struggling to find a top-tier candidate against her. And also, she is an example of how Democrats are benefiting as well. She raised $1.2 million in the last three months of 2019. That is an astounding number. That's what we usually see from senators or Senate candidates. And she's a freshman House Democrat raising that money. Yeah. The the House impeachment vote fell almost entirely on party lines. And that interested me because you have a whole lot of Democrats now representing districts that President Trump won in 2016. You still have- 30, yep. Yeah. And you still have a couple Republicans uh, representing districts that Hillary Clinton won in 2016, and yet they voted with their party. So you're getting at why um, it helps them raise money to stick with their their side, out out of district money, money from around the country. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what district they come from, how much is within the district. Usually they have to go outside to raise the money- uh, necessary and and the challenge the problem that I see with just impeachment polling in general a couple of things one is that the wording is sometimes different we're comparing or the wording will be uh, do you do you believe the president should be impeached and removed from office like those are two different <laughs> those are two different things and and so there there aren't there isn't nuance and also we don't know to what extent voters will be prioritizing impeachment they're giving an opinion on impeachment but when we get to October, November of this year, where is that going to 
fall compared to the economy, foreign policy, uh, healthcare, what, whatever it might be. Uh, it just might not. I'm, I guess I'm skeptical. It's going to be the voting issue in 2020. Right, and so Alyssa Slotkin, not knowing what the voting issues are going to be, would rather go into that with a big campaign war chest. Right. And I think she, every member is handling it a little bit differently. She not only has raised that money, but she is very, uh, very available. Uh, you know, she'll answer reporters' questions, doing town halls. She's kind of trying to get out front, uh, get out front and explain her position instead of uh, hiding and not telling people where she stands. Okay. Let's get back to the Senate trial. You you said earlier that you'd be surprised if people like Susan Collins and Cory Gardner break from their party and therefore vote to uh, vote guilty. Um, but what about the Democrats? I mean, you got Doug Jones representing Alabama. He has to face the voters this year in a very pro-Trump state. Is it obvious that he votes to acquit? Uh, no, I, I actually, Doug Jones, it might sound counterintuitive, but Doug Jones' path to victory in Alabama, I think, needs to be boosting Democratic turnout. <laughs> he needs to get an abnormal number of Democrats to the polls uh, rather than, I think there's a better chance of him doing that than convincing crossover Republican voters. And so voting, I think I expect him to vote with the Democrats, uh, you know, I would be surprised, maybe not as shocked as the Collins Gardner scenario, but I would be surprised if he doesn't vote with the Democratic Party. So you see the same dynamics at work for him as in the case of Collins and Gardner. He needs to get his base. Correct. That's the first step in, in, in a large, a large base. And that's part of what he did in that special election uh, against Roy Moore. Roy Moore was also a unique uh, unique candidate or individual. Who was charged with sexual assault. Yeah, right? you know. But we have to remember, though, that Doug Jones still barely won. He only won by a few points. And Doug Jones has challenged that there will probably be between 600 and 700,000 more voters total that vote that will vote in the presidential year in the, in the Senate race that didn't vote in, the in special. a special election. And those will probably those will be predominantly Republican voters. Yeah, he's got a tough road. Um, but what about Democrats in pro-Trump states who are not up for re-election this year? Um, is the dynamic different for people like Joe Manchin in West Virginia or Kirsten Sinema in Arizona, John Tester in Montana? Uh, it, it is – well, it's different because they're not facing voters immediately. Uh, and then you know we have a long way to go before we get to either their elections in 2022 or 2024. You know, is the president still the president anymore? Where are we and where does it – again, where does it fall? Where does it – Trump's impeachment in this trial fall on the list of priorities. Uh, I, I think we're, we're just too too far we're, we're too far away. So from those political self preservation is not as much a concern for them. Uh, well, it's probably a concern, but it's harder to figure. It's harder to figure out. I mean, I think Cinema was in. Uh, she was in the in the news recently about uh, you know talking about taking it seriously and listening to her constituents. And uh, it's just, I think we have a hard time figuring out what's going to happen in November 2020. Alone, uh, the next uh, one and two elections after that. Well, we are going to certainly come back to you for the answer, answers, Nathan. Absolutely. This isn't, being, this isn't being recorded, right? I can be held accountable for this. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Nathan. No problem. Thank you for listening. I'm Sean Zell. The producers of this show were Joanne Levine and Michaela Rodriguez. CQ on Congress is produced by CQ Roll Call, 
a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.